0: Hello, my friends. Uh, Before I preach the sermon to you today, I just want to share a couple of announcements with you. One really big one. We have uh, some special guests coming into town for June 8th and June 9th. Uh, We'll be hosting a high school band and choir from Living Word Lutheran High School in Grafton, Wisconsin. They're doing a a tour throughout Michigan, and they'll be coming to us the evening of June 8th. They're doing a concert at 7.30 p.m. that Saturday and then leading our worship on uh, Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, uh, June 9th and so uh, we need to host these 55 students some of you have signed up thank you for that uh, we still have a need uh, for more host homes so please check the the bulletin board and sign up it's just just one night just for a couple of hours if you can second of all today uh, we've got our celebration day the the uh, final day of our fall schedule and so in the multi-purpose room uh, until one o'clock today we've got obstacle course bounce house cotton candy uh, some service projects as well so please enjoy that and then next sunday memorial day weekend our Late service moves to 10 a.m. The early service still stays at 8.30. Finally, one last thing, being that our fall schedule is wrapping up here uh, and Sunday school is kind of done for the season, uh, we just want to give a a quick shout-out to our Sunday school teachers who are awesome and say thank you. So take a quick look at this. Thank you,
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi.
0: Thank you. 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 Now finally, grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. What a great gift and a great joy it was to have my good friend and personal discipleship coach, the Reverend Dr. David Kim, come and be present with us last weekend. To those of you who are at the training, I pray that was a blessing to you. To those of you who are in worship, I just want to say thank you for your receptivity and your warm welcome to hear the word of God from my good friend. And I pray that last week you just simply heard, plain and simple, that to follow Jesus is a great joy. Because when we follow Jesus, we get Jesus. What a wonderful gift. Today we are continuing in our Easter season sermon series called The Aftershocks of Easter, in which we are looking at the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection and all the way up to the day of Pentecost. So Jesus was with the people for 40 days on the earth after he rose from the dead. So we've been watching as he appears to people, and today is no different. He appears to his disciples on a mountain in Galilee, and he speaks this word to them, this word that's oftentimes called the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and I am with you always to the end of the age. In the Greek language that this was originally written in, in that whole section, there was only one command word. And the command word is this word make. Make. Make disciples. That's the only command in this Great Commission. Make disciples. It's not the word go, that's not a command. Uh, in the Greek language it should actually be as you go or or as you're going as you're living and doing your daily life make disciples of who all nations all peoples all tribes all tongues all ages how by baptizing them and teaching them all of the things that Jesus taught to us that he is our savior that he is god That he is Lord, that he loves us and he forgives us, that he has died for us and risen for us, that he is victorious over sin, Satan, and death, and that he will come again to make things all brand new in a new heaven and a new earth. This is what Jesus has taught us, and and he's taught us to go and teach other people about this so that they go teach other people. And as we go, we don't go alone. Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And when Jesus says it, he means it. The term, we call this passage the Great Commission. That term, if I asked you to raise your hands and, and say, how, you know, how many of you have ever heard the term the Great Commission? Likely only about 50% of you would raise your hand. I, I know a lot of you, this term is not familiar to you. And, and maybe even if you've heard of the term, you don't necessarily know what it means. But this passage of Jesus, to go and make disciples, it is called the Great Commission. It, that term, though, isn't in the Bible. It's just what people have referred to this section as. And it's a fitting term, if you think about it. Because what does it mean to be commissioned? To be commissioned means to receive an instruction, a command, or a duty. Someone with a greater authority commissions you to do something, and therefore you do it. Just think about it in terms of the military. When military officers are commissioned, um, they don't create the mission for themselves— it's not theirs to, to create, but when an officer in the military is commissioned, somebody has the mission and gives it to them to accomplish. And frankly, if an, if an officer uh, in, in the military of the United States is commissioned, really the mission belongs to the nation, right? And then it's commissioned to people to carry out. And when they are told to go and do, they go and do. Actually the reason that I'm not even with you today uh, is that yesterday I was uh, in Frankenmuth, Michigan, doing a wedding for two former Michigan Tech students uh, who have graduated, and um, one of them is now in the Air Force. They were completing some um, advanced degrees as well before their wedding, uh, but now they've just completed those degrees. They got married yesterday and tomorrow, on Monday, Uh, They are driving across the country to live now at an Air Force base in California. They are told to go, and they go. It's part of the deal. As Christian people, the mission that we have been tasked with, the Great Commission, is to make disciples of all nations. And, and, And we do it as we go and as we live, Now, just like in the military, this mission does not originate with us. We did not create our great commission. It's not created by us. It's given to us by God. It's God's mission. And he has commissioned us to carry it out. It's that simple. Here's the cool thing about our God. Our God is a missionary God. And from the very beginning of the scriptures, God is on mission. The mission of God, if you, read, if you read the Bible, the mission of God is uh, one of the central themes that propels the narrative of the scriptures. We even read one of these central Old Testament passages as our Old Testament lesson today. In Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abram, he told Abram, pick up and go and move. I've got a plan for you. Abram picked up and moved. And God said to him, Abram, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All throughout the Old Testament, this central theme of God being on mission and commissioning his people to carry out his mission is central, even in the Old Testament, as we watch God raise up key figures to accomplish his redemptive work. Now, the most definitive event in all of God's missional activity is when God himself takes on flesh and comes into the uh, flesh of humanity in the person and work of Jesus the Christ. We call it the incarnation. That means God incarnate, in flesh. God comes into the flesh to take on the sin of all humanity. And in doing so, Jesus is constantly pointing to the reign of God and demonstrating to all people and to all creation that God is on mission to seek and to save those who are lost. Jesus' death and resurrection forgives people of all of their sins. And when Jesus ascends into heaven and sends his Holy Spirit into the lives of his people, he empowers Jesus' followers to live life as missional participants in God's great mission. This is why the church came into being in the very beginning. The church on earth exists not as a place for people to just come and feel good about themselves, I'm sorry to tell you the church is not here just to provide a nice, safe, cozy, comfortable place for Christian people to gather and hang out together. The church exists as a mission outpost in the world, like an Air Force base, or better yet, even like an aircraft carrier. Have any of you ever been on an aircraft carrier before? I have not, personally. Uh, I don't even know if I've seen one in person, uh, but, but, but I know that they are massive, huge. They're, they're floating cities. I think I heard that about 5,000 people or so fit on an aircraft carrier. That's like almost the whole population of Houghton. Imagine that on, on one ship. It is massive. But what is the point of an aircraft carrier? It moves it's on a, on, on a mission, right? It's been commissioned to go, right? It's mobile and, it, and it's supposed to go and it sends out planes on a mission. Now, not everybody on that aircraft carrier is called to be a fighter pilot that goes. Some have to stay behind. Actually, a lot of people stay behind to cook the food, to clean, to manage things. And so if we think about life in the church like being an aircraft carrier, not every single one of us are called or tasked with going into remote places, but every single one of us, no matter whether we stay behind or whether we go, every one of us do have the great commission to make disciples where we are. And what does it mean to make disciples? Making disciples does not mean making converts. When Jesus says make a disciple, he doesn't, he doesn't mean take somebody from unbelief and get them to believe. To make a disciple can even mean take somebody who's a Christian already and work with them, invest in them, teach them to the point that they are mature enough in the faith that they can do the same thing for somebody else. So, a great definition of a disciple. You're never really a true disciple of Jesus until you are discipling somebody else. That's what it means to be a disciple, is to disciple somebody else. So I just ask you, friends, church, will we be a great commission church or a great omission church? Do you know what I mean when I say that term omission? What does it mean to omit something? Most of us think about the things that we commit, The things that we do wrong. But there are also sins of omission, that is when we don't do things that we are supposed to do. Those of you who are parents, isn't it just as frustrating to you when you ask your kids to do something and they don't do it? Just as as frustrating it is when they do something outright that they're not supposed to do? Isn't it frustrating to you as a parent when you ask your children to clean their room and they don't do it? Those are sins of omission. When you think about your own sinful life, how often do you think about your sins of omission? I mean, what's the greatest sin of omission in the church or in our Christian lives? I would say the greatest sin of omission in the Christian church and in our Christian lives is in varying degrees the omission of the great commission. It's when we do not make disciples of all nations. It's when we just are content and comfortable and cozy as Christians. We're more often as a church like an aircraft carrier, anchored in the middle of the ocean, not flying any jets, just enjoying the view, enjoying each other, and that's it. Now, if the Great Commission is to make disciples, what are you doing on a daily basis to accomplish that? Mission. Do you know the term getting paid on commission? Right? Then that's that's where you only get paid if you do the job, like if you're a salesperson, you only get paid if you sell something. If we were to apply that to the Great Commission, if you were to apply that to the Great Commission, if, if you only got paid based on how many disciples you were making, would you be rich or would you be broke? sad to say many of us would be broke and that's that's a big uh, part of the reason that of the 7.7 billion people on this earth only a third of them know christ now what would be a a, if you think about it in practical terms what would be the best way to reach the rest of the five billion people on this world for christ do you know practically speaking What would be better uh, to to take all of you, what, 300 of you that will be gathered in our services today? What would be better to take all of you and train you to become the best, most dynamic public speakers and, and, and presenters of the gospel and then we put you in front of groups of a million and let you just proclaim the gospel till the whole world hears? Would that be the best way? Or would it actually be more effective if every single one of you just met regularly with one other Christian person and, and taught them about Christ to such a point that they become mature Christians and, and can either uh, disciple another Christian person or actually evangelize somebody who doesn't know Christ and bring them to the place of full maturity in Christ so that they reproduce. You know what would be, be the better way? It would be much better to do the second one, and that's the design that Christ intended in the Great Commission for one of us just to be a disciple and to make a disciple. Take a look at this quick video.
1: Ever wondered why Jesus' last command to his committed followers was to make disciples of all nations? Have you ever wondered what it would look like if Christ's most committed followers today actually carried forth that command according to the standard set forth in the New Testament by Christ in the Twelve? If an evangelist were to reach a thousand people a day for Christ in a frozen population rate, can you imagine how long it would take to reach the world for Jesus Christ? just over 15,000 years. And imagine the spiritual maturity of these new converts, most of whom receive no real follow-up or discipleship and end up never reaching their full potential in Christ. However, if a committed follower of Christ, we'll call him Paul, or to disciple a new believer for one year, we'll call him Timothy, to the extent that Timothy matures in Christ until he is able to disciple another. For as Luke 6.40 says, the student will become like his teacher. So then, in year two, Timothy has become a disciple himself and takes on his first student, while Paul takes on another student. By the third year, our Paul is discipling his third student, while our Timothy is discipling his second student, and our newest student is now able to make disciples as well. If the cycle is not broken, a spiritual downline is created, which multiplies to the ends of the earth. Even at an accurate and growing population rate, do you know how long it would take in such a scenario to reach the entire world for Jesus Christ? Just under 37 years. And now imagine the spiritual maturity of these believers, all of whom have been equipped to both be and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. This is why Christ's last command to his followers is not to make converts, but to make disciples of all nations.
0: Isn't that staggering? Isn't that staggering? Just be a disciple and make a disciple. Plain and simple. So that that person becomes a disciple and makes a disciple. On and on. That's it. That's the Great Commission. That's the Great Commission. And after Jesus gave these words of the Great Commission on the mountain of Galilee, as the disciples were gathered, it says that some worshipped him and some doubted. Two weeks ago, we talked about doubting Thomas and I said that, you know, doubting Thomas' uh, problem wasn't necessarily that he doubted Jesus. His problem was actually that he had unbelief. He did, just didn't believe. However, here in the Greek language, after Jesus gives the Great Commission, it says some worshiped and some doubted. The Greek word actually means to doubt or to be hesitant or to be indecisive or to be slow to action. Some of the disciples obviously still at this point are struggling to understand what all of this means. What about you? Are you here to worship or are you here to doubt? Does this make sense to you? And if you're here to worship Jesus, are you here to worship him because you hope that he will give you something in return? Or are you here to worship Jesus because you know and believe that Jesus is all that you need? Do you Hope that here, if you believe in Jesus and follow after him, that he will make you rich? Or do you believe and worship Jesus because in him you are rich? My friends, Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives you. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose for you. Jesus will come back for you, and he did it all for you. I pray that his grace is sufficient for you, and I pray that you know that in him you have everything that you need. And he gives you all of this free of charge as a gift to you, whether or not you accomplish the Great Commission. Listen to me carefully. Your salvation, God's love for you, is not dependent on on your accomplishment of the Great Commission. I just want you to know what a joy it is and what a gift it is and what fulfillment and what purpose you will gain when you realize that you are an active participant chosen by God, commissioned by Him to be on His missionary team, to be commissioned to go and make disciples of all nations. All nations, what a gift it is to receive this commission from Jesus Christ. And we don't go alone. Jesus goes with us. And so as you go, today I just want to remind you to go and be. Go and be. Go and be a disciple. And go and make disciples. What a joy it is in Jesus' name. Amen.